Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Well, I am so thrilled to welcome today's guest, best-selling author, playwright, and former entertainment executive, Tara Schuster. As the former vice president of talent and development at Comedy Central, Tara served as the executive of shows like Key and Peele and Lights Out with David Spade. In 2020, Tara released her book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Other Rituals to Fix Your Life, from someone who's been there, a self-help memoir that tells the story of Tara's journey to becoming a ninja of self-love. Tara's accomplished career and dedicated work ethic led her to realize that although she was succeeding on paper, she needed to succeed within. Her memoir shares lessons and tips on how to love and care for yourself, no matter what stage of life you're at. It's so relatable and so inspiring, and I just can't wait for you to hear Tara's story. So you know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Well, Tara Schuster, you have quite the resume. You're a writer, a playwright, an entertainment executive, former vice president of talent and development at Comedy Central, and now you're an author. You wrote By Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Other Rituals to Fix Your Life from Someone Who Has Been There. Love that title. Thank you so (laughs) much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So yeah, like I said, you have quite the career Would you mind, I guess, just introducing listeners to yourself and how, I guess, a little brief overview as to your career? Yeah. So I was vice president of talent development at Comedy Central, where I oversaw uh, such shows as Kian Peel, um, which was Emmy and Peabody award winning. Um, I oversaw a David Spade show for the network. I oversaw a ton of shows um, over many years. Um, but really, my job was to go find um, new voices, emerging talent, help them develop their voice and set them up for success, which usually meant, um, you know, creating a television show around them, helping them do that, helping them staff it and, you know, soup to nuts overseeing it. So my job was to nurture people, basically, like, like have the wisdom to identify who might be a voice that works with this brand. And then how do we best nurture this person um, and help their career? And, and, and that's at least how I saw it. Like, I don't know if Comedy Central would use the words nurture, right. but, <laughs> but that's um, how I saw it was that the best product we could possibly make, the finest piece of entertainment would be if we find the right voice and give them all the resources they need to really sing. Um, and so, you know, I worked my way up from being an intern at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart back in the day. That was my first job ever. And unlike a lot of millennials, I stuck to one place. Like I was at Comedy Central for 11 years, I think 12 if you count the internship. And even when it sucked, because it sucked for years, there were like many, many years of grinding. Um, I just knew it was the right brand. Like I knew it was the right home for me. I, I knew that it would have a lot to teach me and 
and I always looked at it that way, that it was my first job there was um, in digital media for, they had a homepage called comedy centrals jokes.com. And it was the only job available. I just graduated from Brown where I went for playwriting and now had lots of playwriting debt, which is super fun uh, to be like, Oh, cool. I will have to pay for this. Nice. Um, (laughs) And, you know, so all my friends are like in New York and they're getting jobs at like McKinsey and Goldman Sachs. And I'm like, I'm at jokes.com. You know, I remember distinctly someone actually like turned away from me at a party when I said I work at jokes.com. Uh, it was like a very like, oh, cool. Like, I'm not doing great moment. <laughs> but, how, you know, how I always saw it was that job offered me um, an education in digital media. And because it wasn't the fanciest place ever, they allowed me to take risks and really use it as a training. But it was still in a great brand. It was still at Comedy Central. So it wasn't like you know, completely far moved from entertainment, which was the thing I wanted to do. So yeah, that's sort of like the, the overview is just, I always thought of these jobs as what can they teach me? What can I add? And how can I be valuable? How can I add value to this team? And that kind of was a really good recipe because I moved up pretty quickly and and ended up um, with the kind of responsibility I wanted. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I guess jumping into your employment experiences, you know, you're very open and honest about your relationship with work and how that impacted your life. Mm-hmm. And just even talking about your internship, you know, you, you speak a lot about that, how um, your internship, it really taught you a lot. Like you have tasks that can be, you know, very minimal and not important to some, but you really own them yeah. and took control and I guess in a way, shown a light on yourself. And I think with that, with internships in general, I mean, is that, cause to me, that's where I really like develop my work ethic. Like I thought yeah. I always had a pretty good work ethic, but then when it comes to internships, college, juggling it all, that's when you really like the cycle of work begins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, an internship is an opportunity to create your own opportunity right? Like, so I was at the Daily Show and most of the other interns were like doing bits in a misguided attempt to like get discovered, you know? So they'd be like joking really loudly by the executive producers. And, you know, they thought that would get them maybe on the show. But I noticed that it wasn't helpful and that the adults were genuinely annoyed. So, you know, I I tell the story in the book, but basically as an intern, you have the opportunity to have lunch with John Stewart. And in that lunch, um, you can ask him questions. And one of the other interns asked, how'd you get your first big break? And John Stewart, um, who I have to call by his full name because I do not know him as John. There's just no way. I would not know who I was. Um, he like really quickly replied, there are no big breaks, just a series of small little breaks And your job is to work your hardest and your best at all of them. And it really like shook me to the core. Like there are no big breaks. It's really just these little things. And so I looked for, well, what can be my little thing at the daily show? Like, I don't want to be one of these people, you know, joking and trying to 
grab attention that way. Like, well, what's the littlest break here? And I noticed that the coffee maker, I was receiving exactly no care. There was no competition to be the person who cleaned and maintained the coffee machine. But it was super important because John Stewart made his own coffee every, um, every day before, in between rehearsal and when they taped the show. So I thought, aha, this could be my big little break. And I was psychotic on that coffee machine. I like, I made sure it was always had water. There were capsules, like the perfect capsules everywhere lined up perfectly. There was never any grounds astray. I bought a similar model and figured out how to actually fix it in my own apartment at home. I love that. you know, I made that coffee maker my bitch. Like that, that I was going to own it. And at the end of the internship, they noticed that I, you know, really stepped up and was reliable. And, and so when you're at that stage in your career, it's more about showing that you are proactive, showing that you are reliable and competent because not many people are. Um, And also teaching yourself that you are those things too. And like how to be those things, because you know, those are the things that employers look for at every stage of your career. You know, is she like just competent? Cause it's not everybody is. Um, So yeah, I think for me, what I always say to, to people asking for advice is be the best at the worst. Like, find the opportunity that is small that will add value and attack it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's literally what I was just going to say is that it's not always about getting ahead because that's such a competitive phrase and it's oh, it's not always the most positive and flattering of phrases either. I think it's like what you said just then, showing that you have value, you know, yes. showing that you have importance and this is why I should have XYZ position, or this is why, you know, you should give me, (laughs) you know, extra overtime or whatever, because, you know, you're putting in that work. Yeah. I think it's a really vital reframe that works so much better than I deserve X. You may deserve X. Basically, no one wants to hear that. Nobody cares. No executives like, oh, cool. This person said they deserve this on my day. It's just not a winning formula, but what is and what I have seen be highly effective is knowing where you add value and adding value and framing it that way. So even in my own job, um, and even as I rose the ranks, you know, one of the number one ways that I negotiated my salaries was by not saying, well, I'm doing X, Y, Z. I deserve this. What I said is, I have added value and continue to add value in these ways. I think, you know, therefore I am valuable to you and this is how I would like to be compensated. Like to show them that I am a value add to the team and, and that's the reason to compensate me as opposed to, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. Give me, I I think it, is disarming. Like I remember actually saying this to a HR rep and him being like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. You do add like, like he had a light bulb moment in the conversation. So I knew I was like, aha, I found um, a negotiation technique that's going to work here. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you did climb the ladder and you started advancing and excelling in your career. 
I guess with that, did you find, because again, with advancing becomes more responsibility, more hours, more time you're putting in. Did you find it at all just tiring, troubling at times to juggle and balance it all? Oh, yeah. I mean, mostly I found it incredibly difficult and exhausting and burnouty. And it's only with time, like, I don't even believe in a work life balance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and younger people would, I, I, I like, a 21 year old, like, intern would be like, how am I going to find a work life balance? I'm like, uh, you're not for like 20 years. So, which is not the kindest way to, to introduce somebody to work. Right. Um, but I've given up on a work-life balance because it just makes me feel bad about myself because it's unattainable. And instead, what I think about is how do I integrate my work and my life so that I'm not fleeing from work? Like if I have to have the weekend and plan a vacation to flee my horrible job that the issue is probably with my job like I don't want to (laughs) yeah like get a new job like I don't want to be running away from my life but it's not it's just a different way to frame it like the issue isn't work versus life it's how do you make your work work for your life like Mm -hmm. how do you put those two things together And I think we're really addicted to the idea that busy means important. And if you're overwhelmed, you're doing it right. And and you should be exhausted by everything. And I I hope the pandemic has shown people that that priority sucks, not useful, doesn't feel good, and is a lie. Like busy just means distracted. It doesn't mean excellent, trustworthy, top of class. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like the things that at least matter to me, you know, like working with integrity, um, delivering something innovative. That's not what busy means. So I I think it's really about getting in touch with how do I integrate and how, and, and am I addicted? How do I integrate my work and my life? And how do I stop the addiction to busyness? Because I have a lot of friends, as I'm sure you do, who you know they don't actually need to write that last email, that it is not as urgent as they claim it is. And at the towards the end, I mean, I only went to meetings I wanted to go to. And it wasn't because I was so above, like I wasn't, I was a VP, like I had an important job, but it wasn't, wasn't the president, you know, of the network. But nobody even noticed. Like, like people are so afraid. They're like, ah, I have to go to this meeting. I have to do this. What if you tried not and just see what happens? And like, I'm not saying blow off the major things that you know will be a problem, but, but don't, don't paint everything with a brush of urgent and have to, unless you are addicted. And then it is so hard to let go. Like if you find yourself running the narrative, like, I can't do that. She's crazy. That's not possible. It's like, Ooh, brother. You might have a little bit of addiction. You might be getting a little too much of your self-esteem from this job. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, I think we see a a date or a time and we're automatically like, this is a commitment. I have to go. This is something I must do, whether it's with work or life or happy hours or whatever. We feel like we need to just do it all. And I think that's one thing I've learned from this pandemic 
I feel like my life, honestly, I don't think it's gotten any less busy because the time that I, you know, I haven't been going out and seeing people in person, I've just been filling it with like more podcasting and more projects, et cetera. However, I've learned, which I guess is the key. I've learned that taking the time is important and setting aside the time to just focus on something like read a book. Yeah. 10 minutes to meditate, journal, et cetera. Those things that don't um, seem productive, like when we're addicted to achievement and getting ahead, reading doesn't seem like a productive use of time, except that's where innovation comes from, is when you're actually open and curious to things that are not like your to-do list, and you're sponging in information and you're making connections across disciplines. That's where original thoughts come from. So are you too busy to have original thoughts? Like, are you too busy with your schedule to actually like feed your well and, and learn? And if the answer is yes, then long-term you are not going to be productive. You might be productive right now, but those bigger wins that we want, like write a book, to have a big project that goes so well and, you know, is multidisciplinary, et cetera. Like those come from our ability to take the time to cultivate things that don't necessarily seem productive in the moment. Um, and I think a lot of people are kind of seeing that, that, you know, even this, um, I've seen so many people take up like bread making, for example, in the pandemic, which seems like, you know, just like a, stupid habit, whatever, except it's freaking awesome. Uh And, you know, you learn so much about um, history and how, how people used to make bread and how your food is actually sourced. And like, it opens your brain up. And I, I hope that, you know, at least for me coming out of the pandemic, um, I've realized my priority is not just to be productive within an inch of my life. It is, it is not to grind out every last bit of productivity, mostly because that's not that productive. Like it just makes me exhausted. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we, I just as individuals, I feel like, especially as women, we work ourselves to the bone. Yeah. And like you said, at the end of the day, it's like, you're exhausted and you can't even give that extra time for yourself. And it's awful. Yeah. I mean, if it feels horrible and you're saying things like on a regular basis, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. I'm just so busy. Like, I love you, sister. I'd love to have dinner with you, but I'm just too busy. You really have to investigate, like, why am I alive? Like, it's it's that dire because this is the only time we have. So if you're making choices that this PowerPoint presentation is way more important than your relationship with your family. You know, it's like time to like take a look and see is, is that actually true? Because there's a big difference between the truth and a belief, you know, and we don't have to believe our beliefs. Like we don't have to believe whatever narrative we have going on in our mind about like, I have to do this to get to the next level. And if I don't do this, then so-and-so is going to be so mad usually so-and-so is not even thinking about you. Like even our bosses are not really thinking about us all the time um, and are not like looking to judge us and fault us. I mean, some bosses are, (laughs) but uh, you know, those are, those are far more rare. 
it's just, can we be more gentle with ourselves and do less things that make us want to escape our lives? Like that's my, that's my question. Um, and, and hopefully people are answering it um, in ways that make them feel good. Right. Well, I was going to ask you what advice you have for those, you know, trying to deal with their commitments and deal with their, I guess, busy schedules, but like you just brought up self-care and that's exactly yeah. what, you know, by yourself, the fucking lilies talks about. It really centers around self-care and the importance of loving ourselves and just, I guess, being our own support system at times. Mm-hmm. So what really led you to write the book and explore that topic? Yeah. So it's funny because it feels so different from my career and now it is my career. So it's like, it's funny, like, huh, I wonder how that happened. Um, but basically I grew up um, in a house where things came to die. The pets, the plants, the grass, the orchids that came free with purchase of the house, um, everything perished. And it wasn't because it was under some, the house was not under some mystery hex. Uh, It was that my parents were uh, very neglectful, psychologically abusive. Um, It was a, the euphemism I've come up with was it was a unfun place to grow up. Um, And it basically, I just didn't learn how to take care of myself because nobody was taking care of me. And by the time I was 25, I was just this mess wreck disaster of a person. I lived in a permanent headache. Um, I would walk the streets of Manhattan trying to like knead out this anxiety knot that lived on a little shelf next to my heart. I would find myself weeping inexplicably on the the one train. You know, like I was that girl who's just sobbing like daily. And I'm, you know, what was weird was I was kicking ass at work. I was like, quickly moving up the ladder and nobody at work had any idea that I was chronically anxious and depressed and that I was going home and self-medicating with weed and booze because I had always been such a high achiever to get out of that neglected house. So I was really good at, at work and really bad at living. And it might have gone on that way had I not hit rock bottom on my 25th birthday when I drunk dialed my therapist and threatened to hurt myself. And let me tell you, if you really want to be ashamed of yourself, you definitely should drunk dial your therapist and threaten to hurt yourself. Cause it is a shame that sparks in your belly, creeps up your chest and sets you on fire with hate. And, and that next morning I hated myself. I was miserable when when I listened to the worry in my ther- my sweet therapist voice, I got really worried and I realized if I don't fix my life, I'm not gonna have much more of a life to live. Um, but I, I didn't know exactly what to do. you know, I didn't have parents to ask. I actually did not have wise mentors to turn to. So I just started a Google Doc because that's how I did everything at work or in college, you know, any assignment, I'd break it into the old Google Doc. Right. 
So it's like, I'm going to make a Google Doc. It's going to be called a curriculum of reparenting myself and self-care, which were not things at the time. They were just like the most appropriate words I could like assign to this project. And I just started writing down my questions. What are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Like genuinely, what are they? Which one should I be eating? And I attacked them the way I would a work project. You know, I read memoirs like they were self-help books. I would watch my friends' parents and like take notes on what they did with their families. And I kept this Google Doc for five years. Um, At the end, it was 600 pages. And I was a different person. I was stable and happy and all of these things I never imagined I could be when I was 25. And that's when I realized I had an offering for other people, for, for people who, you know, you don't need to have had as traumatic a childhood as I had um, for this book to be useful. In fact, I think most of my readers would consider themselves of having a pretty good um, childhood, but they still have these parts of themselves where they just don't know how to take care of themselves and, and they want some company and some advice on what to do. So my book is simply essays and and tricks and little stories that I learned on this path because I was really paying attention. You know, I was urgently trying to save my life. Um, And and so I took notes the whole way and I try to use humor. So it's, it's not a bummer of a read that even, I think it's probably the funniest book that deals with uh, neglect and abuse of, I think it's the only book probably where someone tried to do that. Um, no, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and I think, you know, just hearing you talk about what led you to write it. I mean, everybody may like, again, like you said, I related to that wholeheartedly good at working, but when it comes to, with me, I think when it comes to just dealing with things, dealing with stress, dealing with pressure, dealing with commitment, I'm that type of person that likes to say yes to everyone, but myself, Um, I feel that like, you know, when it was in college and I was waking up at 4am for my internship to be on the train in New York, to get from the Bronx to New York, uh, to Manhattan, um, I was exhausted and I'd come back and like, Oh, want to get dinner? And it's like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My eyes are twitching, but of course I will. (laughs) Right. And it, I think when it comes to work and not just with our jobs, but just our, our routines, we get so caught up in just getting through the day. Yeah. Especially like right now, this pandemic, that's one thing that like, it's just, you're just trying to get through the day, like yeah. trying to get to the weekend. Like maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe you'll do something fun on a Saturday or Sunday. Cause like it, anymore, it's just the days all blur together, but I think it's really important to hone in and have that maybe wake up call that you were talking about and just take responsibility and become aware of what you need to work on. Yeah. I I think, you know, particularly use the phrase, phrase, get through the day. Mm -hmm. And anytime I use that phrase, I circle it, underline it, highlight it and say, dude, you need to look at this because I do not want to die having gotten through my life. (laughs) Like, no, thank you. Like I want to live my life and enjoy my life and give back to my life. Like that's the kind of thing I want to say. 
So even in the pandemic, um, you know, something I've really been advocating is this is our life. Like we don't get more time later. So whatever your circumstances right now, and many of us are in way less than ideal circumstances, it is up to you actually to find some joy, find some reason that you're not just getting through your life, but you're living your life. Obviously, it's not um, another place to beat ourselves up because that doesn't work. Like that does not make us stronger people. But I, I think it is a useful tool to say, huh, I am right now getting through my days. What would be one small thing I could do for myself today that helps me enjoy my day? Like you're just changing the narrative by like a, a t- 10%. Like it's a very small adjustment, but you start to change your whole life because your life are made up of habits, like small habits done repeatedly. So, you know, I think we get hung up on when I get the job, then I'll be happy. When I move, then I'll be happy. When I find the partner, then I'll be happy. When it's really like, when my sock drawer is organized and there are no socks with holes, I'm really pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty cool feeling. When my bed is made, I feel pretty good. It's like finding these small mundane parts of our day to delight in, um, even uh, in a pandemic. Yeah. Well, cause that's the other thing too. I think a lot of people, you know, when it comes to reevaluating their life, they think, oh, I have to hop on this big journey to find happiness or fulfillment. And it could really be simple things. Like for me, when this whole pandemic started, it was taking a walk in the morning and in the evening and which was something I really never did. And again, like living in New York, I feel like I like walking was just life. And it was just like your commute to wherever you needed to be. Um, but to just walk around, you know, I came back to rural Pennsylvania during most of the pandemic and I've been stationed here for the time being. And it's just been nice to walk around and and be around nature and just have like, again, no music, no AirPods, headphones, anything just like complete, like natural sound, like that ambient noise. It's so Beautiful. You're painting me a picture. I love it. I want to be there in a country lane. Yeah. But it it's it was something like that, like something very simple that became then a part of my routine. And it was yeah. something that, you know, I guess beforehand, I never really thought I had the time to take 20 minutes in the morning or 20 minutes in the evening and just do something like walk around for myself. But now it's like that's something I do. The weather is getting nice again. I can't wait. I'm going to like, maybe I'll add another 10 minutes onto the journey. Like I mean, fun. just even, you know, we're on Zoom so I can see you and just even seeing your face as you describe this, it obviously brings you great joy. Like, yeah. and that's the thing that I'm advocating is, you know, self-care I think has been co-opted by corporations as a way to market beauty products essentially right. and like stuff you need to buy. But that's, you know, so I'm just really clear, like, that's not what my book is about. My book is about delighting in the very small details of your life and actually treating yourself better, which is usually free. You know, if it's, if it's not free, it's like super low cost. Um, You know, the title of the book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, comes from me deciding finally, after many years of miserably eyeing the lilies at Trader Joe's, 
deciding that I was worth $7 lilies, that, that I was worth these flowers that just absolutely made my life better with their scent and how they look and how they bloom and really taking care of myself the way the, my best parent, the way I wanted to be taken care of, I can bring that to myself now. And it makes me stronger when I treat myself well. It makes me more original, more creative, more productive, more everything when I drown out the kind of criticisms of I'm not enough, I don't do enough, you know, that soundtrack that every ambitious person, you know, I'm like, you shouldn't even use the word ambitious. Screw that. I'm using the word ambitious. It's not a dirty word. It's cool no. to have ambition. <laughs> like, yeah. It's cool to want to make something of your life. I think it's nice. Um, but I, but I think the ambition should also be towards um, health and wellness and sanity and taking care of yourself and enjoying this life. Um, and, and even as you spoke about Pennsylvania, like you, you, I get the sense that you have gratitude for like, it's beauty and, and, and that opens up your life in so many ways, just to even have the gratitude that yes, it is a pandemic. Yes, you wouldn't have chosen these circumstances. And yes, it's beautiful. These walks are beautiful. Right. Well, it's so funny hearing you talk about just like the beauty and the simplest of things. I'm going to reference a movie. I haven't made a movie reference on here in a while, but about time it's probably one of my favorite movies. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Okay. As you were talking about it, it sort of hit me that in the film, there's this scene where without spoiling much about the film, but it has to do with time travel. Okay. It's a great, fantastic film. But there's a part in the film where the individual goes about his day And then the next day goes back in time and relives the day, noticing the simplest of things around him and how he interacts with others. And he learns to, you know, all the stress he puts into getting to work, going about his day with his job, how he deals and internalizes pressure. He goes about it differently the next day and realizes, Mm. why am I putting that much emphasis on it? So I highly recommend that. Oh, that's great. Because um, just what you were saying there, it is. It's just, and that is self-care. Self-care totally. is just being more also self-aware of how you're doing every day, how you're dealing with the day and going about it and living. I couldn't agree more. And I will definitely watch that movie, maybe even tonight. Hot it's, tip. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's on Netflix. It's one of my favorite, favorite films. This is a great tip. Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, and it's um, British. So the accent. Oh, I'm, I'm there. Rachel McAdams is in it. She's so cute. I'm so, there. Um, yeah. But so, yeah. And, you, you know, you wrote this book and you explored this whole topic of self-care and self-love. What is, I guess, what are your remedies Um, Mm. some self-care practices that you partake in? Yeah, I think I, you know, um, when people are like SOS, what I'm in a bad place, what are the, what, what easy self-care things can I bring in? Like now I always, there are three things that I recommend and one relates directly to what you were just talking about, which is how do we build self-awareness? Because that is the cornerstone of self-care. You cannot take care of yourself if you do not know what needs taken care of. So the first step is for me journaling, a solid journaling practice, which 
I rolled my eyes at when it was first suggested to me. I thought journaling was for broken narcissists and people who had time to journal. And I didn't have time to journal because I was very important and had other things to do. Um, and almost as a you know self-righteous way to um, uh, diss the person who suggested it, I, I tried journaling. And pretty quickly, I felt like I was DMing with my soul. Like I was just hearing the things I needed to hear. I was finally, you know, on the page, seeing what my fears were, what memories I needed to work through, what relationships were not working out well. And I've now been journaling for something like 11 years solidly. And it has changed my life. And there's nobody who journals who's like, oh, it doesn't work. Like it friggin' works. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of science behind it because it builds your self-awareness muscle. So for anyone who's looking to jumpstart their self-care, if you want the fastest possible way towards self-care, I'd say every morning, pen and paper, at least one page, answer this question. How do I actually feel? Simple. Just how do I actually feel? What's in my mind? What's in my heart? It's basically emptying out. Um, it's uh, I call it word vomiting, like word vomit, mm -hmm. everything you're thinking and feeling. So that would be the first step would be to have some kind of journaling practice. Um, the second step would be to do something nice for yourself every day. One small, nice thing which again, I rolled my eyes at. I was like, who has time to be nice to themselves? And that's so narcissistic. Like, I don't want to do that, which is so sad <laughs> once you say that out loud. Because if I said, do one nice thing for your mom every day, oh, no problem. I'll, give, I'll just call her. It's not a big deal. Like, that'd be a nice thing. It's sad when it's a big deal to be nice to ourselves. So we, we need to get in the habit of, of actually being nice to ourselves. So that could be buying yourself the lilies. That could be um, buying the coconut milk that costs 25 cents more because you're worth it. Um, that could be uh, the sock drawer is my favorite example because we just know that's true. Life is better with matching socks. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's just a way to respect yourself. Um, one really easy one that is life-changing is making the bed every day. I don't know anyone who makes their bed every day who does not swear by it. Like, yeah. it's, it's wild how many, like, those of us on the making the bed boat, it has blown uh, the lid off of our lives. And we just want the people who are not making the bed to mm -hmm. give it a chance. Well, my dad, he uh, has a big military background. Yeah. Um, and he said, like, that was obviously the one thing they were had to do perfectly every single day. But he said he loved it so because you can start your day doing one thing right. Yes. Like one thing just, like, perfect and check it off your list. It's, it's like, a beautiful thing. And I've, I've heard this from people in the military. Like, I really relate to that. It's you build pride in yourself. And what you're saying is I am the kind of person who deserves to be in a made bed. Like there are so many good benefits to making your bed. So I'd say, so we've got journaling, we've got like one physical practice um, that 
makes you respect yourself, that makes you say I'm worth doing nice things for. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing would be um, to bring something to your relationships that is, that is caring. And for me, that's a, having a gratitude practice. And, you know, if, if anyone's interested in gratitude practice, just Google it. You don't need me to tell you how to be grateful. You jot down for me, it's I jot down 10 things I'm grateful for every day. But how I have made it work more practically is I'm a big thank you card writer. So I take every opportunity I possibly can to write thank you notes. Um, And they don't have to be for things that happened now for mentors, people I've always been meaning to thank even for a gift where I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't write a thank you card, it's never too late. Like if the, like the person probably doesn't remember, but if they do remember when they get the card, their reaction is only going to be like, cool, this is nice. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's like, Oh no, (laughs) nobody's mad. They got a thank you card. And I think right now is a particularly good time to thank the people who need a little more shine to thank the, you know, frontline workers, the people in our grocery stores, the people in our buildings who I live in a, like a condo building where there's a staff here keeping us safe and healthy. The minimum they deserve is a thank you card, right. you know, and it opens up your heart. Like it, it connects you to people when you thank them. For me, it's the best selfish thing I do. Like it makes me feel a lot better Um, which is why I do it. And then it's like a nice thing to do for other people. So I think a journaling practice, doing one nice thing for yourself every day and writing thank you cards, those are three free, awesome self-care things that can whip you into a better place in almost no time. Like, I I feel like that's like a a weird ad or something. Like I've got no product to sell, but um, it, it just does work. Like, right. <laughs> like these well, are, yeah. yeah. I love the idea of thank you notes. And I think too, just handwritten letters in general, like living in this digital age that we're in, I feel like on birthdays, holidays, it's so easy to just like text a friend, Hey, happy birthday or Hey, Merry Christmas. But to write that write that letter and show the appreciation for them. And maybe it be a reminder of your friendship, your relationship. It's something great about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's beautiful for you, the letter writer, like Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful experience. It feels good while you're doing it. And then when they call or text to say like, I just got your thoughtful note. Usually I forget that I even sent it. Mm -hmm. Like I wrote so many Valentine's cards. I, I like celebrate the hell out of Valentine's Day. And I, I wrote yeah. it to like all my friends. Some people I'd even forgotten. And I had done it so far in advance that I'd like forgotten I had given them a card. Mm-hmm. When I did it, it felt awesome. Then I forgot about it. Then it was this wave of like love, like back at me. I was like, this is like some kind of hack towards happiness because yeah. this feels so good. Definitely. Well, that's amazing. And I think, yeah, that's one thing this pandemic has taught me. I mean, like you said, the phrase self-care and self-love, I had heard those things before, but it wasn't until the pandemic happened. And I think we were all just really looking in on our lives because we had the time to, and 
I think, you know, we hear those phrases more and it's good because they're really important things to do is to show yourself that love, hopefully every day, um, and remind yourself that you're important and you have value all those things we talked about with your career. So, um, yeah, I love it. And this book, where can people, I guess, follow along with your journey? Where can they buy the book? Yeah. So you can buy the book anywhere books are sold. It's Target, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local indie, um, anywhere. And people can, um, follow along and, and actually, I'm issuing like challenges. So if any of this sounded cool and you need a little accountability on Instagram, I'm Tara Schuster and we're right now doing a journaling challenge. So you can join us there. And if you go to my website, taraschuster.com and click newsletter to join the newsletter, this like most beautiful community has sprung up and we've started to do like zooms together and become each other's friends. And like, it's basically people who would usually eye roll at something like the term self-love mm-hmm. who are willing to be curious and experiment and um, be in community as it's been really beautiful to watch that spring up. Right. Yeah. And like journaling, I think that's so beautiful. And like you said, I, it's such an individual assignment, well, not assignment, but an individual uh, thing to do every day. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like, no one else is reading it. It's your own. You don't have to write a screenplay every morning. Right. Just, you know, write a couple sentences, write a word, like set an intention for the day. Um, It's completely up to you. But I I think journaling, because that's how journaling has been to me. Yeah. I I don't do it um, every day. I don't even really do it every week, but every now and then I'll take a couple, couple minutes and write down a couple sentences of, you know, what's been going on in my life. And it's just, you know, it'll be a good recap for (laughs) a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, and you know, Tara, I love to ask with this being handling it and just everybody is really going through life and hopefully along the way, realize there's no right or wrong way to go about it. I always like to ask people that come on, What's a piece of advice or a lesson that you've learned throughout your career, throughout your experience writing this book that's really helped you handle your life? Hmm. That's such a good question. I think the main thing I've learned, and this is, and I write a lot about this, is that life is not a series of crises to be endured. It is to be enjoyed, that, that I am allowed to enjoy my life um, and that I don't want to get through it. And, and so if that's actually my priority, I've got to make sure that my day is aligned with that, that my job is aligned with that and forgive myself when it's not because I'm not perfect and I get overwhelmed and I get in the spiral of I am busy, thus I am important. Mm-hmm. But to always come back to life is not a series of crises to be endured. It is to be enjoyed. Yeah. I love that. And that's, I think, really important right now when just the whole world (laughs) is going through a crisis. Absolutely. Remember that, you know, you can still find, like I said, I've personally found silver linings through this pandemic, even though it's been crappy and unfortunate, I have found good things within it because you could find a lot of good things pretty much within anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, Tara, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Well, I hope you all loved hearing Tara's story and learning about her career and memoir. As we discussed in our conversation, self-love and self-care are so important as we continue to recover from the pandemic, as well as checking in and caring for others during this time. I highly recommend reading By Yourself the Fucking Lilies, and if you'd like to check it out, there's a link in the episode bio to do so. Thank you to Tara so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now, and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.